0: i hope you've enjoyed this episode of brunch by the trailing spouse co if you're a trailing spouse anywhere in the world join us we're a place that you will find other like-minded professional trailing spouses as well as training education and employment opportunities head to the and connect with our network and if you'd like to join me for brunch You'll find a link on the website to register your interest for a chat. At The Trailing Spouse Co, we are passionate about ensuring that you are connected, your mind is stimulated, and that you're always learning. Hello, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me.
0: Very excited to uh, hear about your trailing spouse journey. Um, we were talking <laughs> offline about prepping for these conversations and I was saying that I actually I don't really like catching up with people beforehand because I like just hearing everything (laughs) for the first time so I'm really excited to hear everything for the first time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Hopefully not too many surprises.
0: (laughs) Uh, I love the surprises the surprises are good. Okay all
1: right I was um I was just saying to you too that I um reading about your trailing spouse was a bit of a lightning bolt for me because um I had, like, it just hit me. That's what I've been doing for nearly 35 years, yeah, trailing my spouse. It was like, oh, is that a real thing? (laughs) It is a real thing.
0: It is a very real thing. So, Michelle, tell me who you are and where you're from and where you're based now.
1: So I'm Michelle Porter. Um, I was born in the western districts of Victoria and got um, married and moved to Hay. And had um quite a while there, married to John, my husband of thirty five years um, and then um, yeah I was uh, left school when I was fifteen and did a hairdressing apprenticeship for four years um, worked full-time with that for a while and then yeah got married at twenty and moved up six hours from home up to hay um, just and had never lived out of home before, moved out of my mum and dad's house and um, just tracked up to hay and um, started life up there with John. Yeah, so um, currently currently living in, um, just out of Gundagai. Yeah, um, my husband's managing a farm here.
0: Okay, so for all of you that are not only not Australian but not rural Australian and for those of you who are not East Coast Australian, a lot of those places <laughs> will not sound familiar to you. But we have no. um especially our sort of listeners from overseas a bit of an idea about the size of the towns that you're talking about. So how big was the town in, in Western Victoria? How big is Hay and how big is Gundagai? Um,
1: so the town I was born in was um, Glen Thompson in Victoria. So it was tiny, um, uh, uh, probably 100 or 200 people. And we were out on a farm there. So we were in between two smaller communities um, our closest town was it was only half an hour away, but it was about 10,000 people. So that was a bit easier. Um, Hay was about 3,000 people and um, an hour an hour and a bit to get to anywhere else. There's no small towns around at all. Um, and then um, Gundagai is about the same, about 3,000, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're about 12 k's out of Gundagai. So I only really lived in one town and that was Hay when I first got married. For about four years, we were right in the main street. So that was um, a bit of an eye-opener for a little while. And then we moved out onto a little
0: bit of acreage, which was nice to get a bit of space. Yeah. So I actually have quite a number of friends that live in and around Hay. And so I would love for you just, again, to set the scene a little bit. Can you sort of describe what the main street of Hay looks like?
1: It's straight. um, (laughs) Like everything around Hay, Um, it's very flat. Um, Hayes uh, uh, the, the flattest place in the southern hemisphere, so it's it's flat and quite treeless in most most areas. So very unique. I uh, fell in love with it. Um, even though I was brought up at the foot of the Grampians, went to school at the foot of the Grampians. So big mountains and things. Um, I really love the Riverina. Um, Hayes Main Street is straight. It had Hay have a lot. It has a lot of motels has a lot of had a lot of pups there's been in my time a couple that have um not not continued but um very big outlying population that use hay as their center so um a lot of changing um pe- people changing um coming and going so it was a very welcoming town they, they'd they have a um a welcome night at the pub on uh, every january for everyone that had changed teachers uh, council workers you know um medical staff all those sorts of DMR type people yeah council workers and things so it was um yeah always everyone was always very welcoming really big welcoming town um yeah it's it's a, it's a lovely town i love it
0: hmm. it's really beautiful it's got lots of uh well australian old so you know 150 year old buildings it's yes, quite a, yes. um it's got some really beautiful yes. sort of old like heritage style um, um, buildings down the down the main street, it's gorgeous. Michelle, I'm really sort of interested to hear what has been the driving forces around your your moves with your husband, because obviously a lot of the conversations that we have on this podcast are with the expat scene, and so people bouncing around globally. But your moves have all been internally in Australia, and um, and are quite a, not unique to Australia, but definitely a, quite a, a common story that we hear in rural Australia, which is is people moving around generally driven by the agricultural industry. So do you want to mm. talk through, so you had that, you, you moved and got, well, got married and moved married, as, a, yes. as a young girl, yep. moved <laughs> from out of home. But what has sort of driven the, the moves and your trailing spouse sort of journey over the years?
1: Definitely, my husband's work, looking for work. Um, so that the first move we made was when the drought hit and our contracting business didn't have the livestock to sustain it. Um, so we, um, I convinced John to take on a um, managing job, just seventy-five k's north of of Hay, um, which is um, it's. It, I always describe the place we went to as. The poem "Hey, Hell and Bulligal" by Jack Je- Banjo Patterson. We were at the hell in the middle. So, and and that's we didn't think it was hell, but that's how they, that he described it. So, around the One Tree Plains, so uh, property in there that um, yeah, we, he managed for a few years until it actually got shut down with the drought. So we um, then stayed living there until we um, moved back to moved. The other side of Hay, another eighty k's out the other side of Hay, all this time, I was keeping my jobs in town in Hay, so travelling every day with children for school and back. um we did have a house in town that we stayed overnight in a few times few times a week um and during the process, we had children go up to boarding school in Victoria as well um so yeah, so we we went to manage that place and then manage another place um near hay and then that after four years finished up as well and john actually went back shearing when he was 50 um and for a few months and then we got a um he got a job in tasmania which was um a very much will we won't we situation um i might say that none of our moves have been planned everything's happened through circumstances um having us making us change um anyway we we sat down or I sat down, John was shearing and I was ringing him out at the shed to say, will I apply? And he said no. And I said, and then he'd ring back and say yes. And then, I, and then he'd say no and eventually said yes. So we applied and we sat down. We drew, he actually drew, a, a, had a sheet of paper and put a line down the middle, pros and cons, and just worked out what the worst case scenario was if it didn't work out. And we kept our house in hay and I took long service leave and we moved to Tasmania. Yeah, so went from the flat plains of hay to the middle of the Derwent Valley um, in Tasmania, which was rather claustrophobic to begin with, but um, glorious in the end. Yeah, um, and then from we were there for about four and a half years, and then we moved to um, Victoria, a place between called Beauford between Ararat and Ballarat, which was um, another job for John. And then from we about there, four and a half years, then back to my old stopping ground um, where I was born for about 12 months. Um, And then we ended up, we actually had about six weeks in a lovely little house in um, a small town in between jobs. Um, And then we moved up here to Kulak. And we've been here about six years. We've had two moves, three moves since we've been here. One with the same property. We literally moved across the road a couple of years after we'd moved up here. And then we've just recently, at the start of this year, moved again to another farm where John's managing. So, um, And I've trailed the whole way.
0: So tell me, have you actually counted how many houses you've lived in?
1: I've counted. We've we've had 12 moves.
0: That's with coming
1: from from home. And then um, we did go back to our house in Hay a couple of times in between the jobs in Hay and going to Tassie. Yeah, so 12. So... I'm adamant the next one will be our our, our own place and we, it'll be it. That'll be it in a few years. That's it.
0: So tell me, what were you, so you talked about your, your job that you were doing in Hay where you would sometimes stay in town and have the kids going to school and things yep. in there. What were you doing for work?
1: I was working at the local Catholic primary school um, as uh, the secretary, as well as I had three jobs actually, the secretary and I was a teacher's aide as well as a teacher's assistant. So that sort of was four days a week. Um, but more than not, I'd have to be in there five days because um I'd have to take Tim into school anyway. So I'd go in and do a bit of work and then um and wait for him because there was no school bus. So yeah, it was um that and um I was there about ten years. As I said, I took long service leave. I just scraped in for that to get to Tassie. Yeah.
0: So yep. did you in the other locations, obviously you were able to hold on to that role for a while, but in the, with the other moves, were you able to work?
1: I was worried when I went to Tassie that um, everyone said that it was very hard to get jobs down there, um, hence taking the long service leave. Um, and I just went in with the idea that I'll just apply for anything that I think I can do. And uh, I was really lucky. I got a great job first up, first job I applied for, um, which within three months of me um, being there, I was working um, four days a week at a, an all-boys um, Catholic school um, for a year Sevens to ten, just a 45-minute drive from where we were living, which was great. I was really surprised.
0: And all of the other locations, were you able to pick up work?
1: Um, yes, yes, eventually eventually. I've been, um, different schools. I changed a few times when we came back over to Victoria. Um, I was in a, um, hospital in a business office for a while doing, um, sort of, um, spreadsheets and things, and then moved to the front desk of the hospital. And then I went back to a school. I've been to, to three different St. Mary's primary schools in different locations. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went, went to St. Mary's in Ham in, um, at and then I moved when we moved to Hamilton. I went to St Mary's School there too, which was right at the back of the, of the secondary school that I actually went to. So that was that was a real um step back in time, yeah.
0: Really? Yeah, and
1: really? then um, when and then when we left there, I came up here and I worked at an I, I actually joined your pointer remote when I moved up here and um, kept an eye on that, but ended up getting a part time job at an accountant's in um, Gundagai which I had for oh, um, not t- t- 12 months, I think. We, um, I was also doing some cleaning at an accommodation place as well and they ended up offering me a manager's, accommodation manager's position, which was um, out of the office. I was finally, um, it, seen, it was great. I could work partly remotely, which was um, great. I didn't have the set hours of 9 to 530 30. Um, and, and I'm still there six years later, still doing it. So, yeah, it's um, I just went in with the attitude I would just, yeah, find whatever I could. I, I did a bit of farm work when we were at One Farm. The, the company that employed John employed me for a little while to do books. I did a bit of the books over in um, Tassie as well, so I sort of dabbled in a little bit of helping him as well.
0: So I'm really interested in hearing, I know that the community in Hay is a is a very sort of welcoming community and that that, that is so fabulous. I didn't know that they did like a, a welcome event every every January. That's fabulous. But I think the challenge that I know a lot of people find moving into small rural communities in Australia, in other parts of the country, that people can find that absolutely, well, terrifying but also really challenging because country towns are quite renowned for the clickiness and the you know we've been here forever sort of mentality or I've got enough friends and can't be bothered with the new person Um, yeah a lot of towns how did you find how did you find your people how did you find a network how did you find sort of like people to sort of start building in each of these places
1: um, I, it was quite daunting in Tassie. Um, it, I, I felt like um, I'd established my friendship group and, and really gotten into the, the grain of hay through having children there as well and met my, you know friends that are still my best friends. When we went to Tassie, our children had finished, our middle son, Paddy, had finished school. Um, our eldest daughter had finished school and was heading off to uni and our youngest son was still at school in, in Geelong. So they weren't actually living with us. So you didn't have that um, um, meeting at the school gate or, or canteen duty or anything like that. Um, we actually found it really difficult in Tassie. They are a little bit um, more enclosed. Um, we just decided in the end, a couple of things we did, we went to cafe in the small town just um just down the road quite often um you know on a saturday morning or something to just get off the farm and have a conversation and you meet people through that um used to take our dog with us which was a bit of a um, draw card as well um and then and also pick up the um they had a community newsletter which um they um wrote so just for our small community which i picked up and got a few um pointers and things out of that um John always goes to the pub for a beer, so he goes and gets um, talks to the old guys there and gets a bit of a brains trust, he calls it, um, to get the lay of the land because he knew nothing about the land over there, obviously. Um, the biggest thing we did was actually realise that people weren't going to come to us. We didn't have anyone knock on the door with a cake and say welcome to the area or anything. I don't think anyone knew we were there. Um, we were one of very, very few company-owned places in Tassie. They were all very family-owned still. And um, what we did was we got the community newsletter and there was a meeting for the local town, smaller town um, show committee. So um, we'd been involved a little bit with the show and that in Hay and and other things. So we just bit the bullet and just turned up at the meeting, basically introduced ourselves um, and got uh, fortunately for um us they had the people that had been doing the barbecue for years and years and years just we're, we're retiring that year so we stuck our hands up and said we'd organize that so t- took on a fairly daunting task to begin with but um, from then on we didn't look back it was amazing they just embraced us and um, could see we were good people and we wanted to help the community and and um, had the best set of friends there ever yeah yeah F- funny story we actually met the neighbors that we could see out our our front window, which were across the highway and on another hill. Um, we met them at our our daughter's university at UNE in England. They were up there. Their son was up there, and they were. My daughter was involved with the rugby team, and he was um, playing. And we actually ran into them and worked out. Oh, I think I think I'm not really sure how it happened. Claire might have realized that it was that he was from Tassie or something and they were there seeing him. So, yeah, we actually met them and best friends, best friends
0: still. So to give crazy some, to give listeners a bit of a geography lesson on that, so Tasmania is the little island right down the bottom of Australia and the University of New England is in northern New South Wales, which is about like, you know, a third of the country further north. Like yeah, it's a long line. Yeah. Like yeah, we're doing thousands of yeah.
1: kilometres, thousands of kilometres. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really, that was, um, yeah, luck. We were supposed to meet them they, and, and we were. And we and, and John did things. He went in and played tennis in Hobart every Tuesday night. Um, it was the best thing. They had a group of men that just used to take a picnic basket and have a barbecue and play tennis, they tell us, but um, I think they did. <laughs> Good catch up, and and look, I also ended up getting asked to be join a book club, which I absolutely loved. It was just such a great mix of people that um, you um, and conversation and stuff wasn't always the book, but it was just wonderful and very um, invigorating. And yeah, they were they were great friends to have. Yeah, and I, I don't think we've actually ever had the same welcome or or set of friends since. Yeah, we've sort of uh, haven't been able to get. Involved in the community and that in in the other places that we've been in as much as what we did over there, yeah, it was. Um... So
0: we have um, we actually have a fair few of our listeners. I always find it really interesting having a look at like the analytics on the the back end of the podcast, and we do have a lot of, um, of, of listeners that listen from Australia. I think that someone like you that you've spent what over thirty five years moving around towns in, in rural communities, do you have some advice, because I know that um, we also have actually a fair few medical trailing spouses that listen and they quite often find themselves in rural communities, particularly Australian ones, As um, and also for, for foreign trained medical professionals who come to countries like Australia um, to get their permanent residency or to get their visa a lot of the time they've got to spend time in rural communities so have you got yeah. sort of advice that is in addition to what you were saying is that no one's going to come to you so you've got to put yourself out there any other little gold nuggets that you can share that would be helpful for people that are either about to do this. I know we've got uh, um, uh, some really interesting people moving around that have have joined the trailing spouse community that are relocating from other parts of the world into medical jobs in Australia. Yeah, so um, any advice that you can pass on for them?
1: Um, well, accept any invitations that you get. I think uh, most rural communities will put something out there, or they'll, especially if they're welcoming a medical. If you're getting a doctor to a small town, people are going to be uh, overjoyed that they're coming to start with, and and they'll they'll touch base with you. Um, you know, they'll they'll ask you out. If you, as I said before, if you've got children, if you've got young children, that school, preschool, childcare um, will give you a connection. Um, if you don't, um, it is, it is harder. I think it is harder. I think sport probably, um, John always says, it said to the kids, if you take your tennis racket and turn up in a town and at the, at the courts, you'll get a game and you'll meet people. Um, and you know, that sort of thing. If you, um, do that. The other thing was we, um, we didn't really meet a lot of people through it, but, um, we did go to church as well. Not that we're really religious, but um, that that um, connection with Catholic Church in and through working through Catholic schools, um, I met um, people that way as well. But small rural communities will have huge um, sporting clubs and things like that. Um, the other thing is go down to the local cafe when you've got time off and sit out the front and have a coffee and you'll be surprised how many people will walk past and say hello, um, especially if you've got a cute dog or a baby with you. Um, but even if you don't, that was one thing that we did in in, and we still have done um, more to get off, because um, managing farms, you're working where you live. So John's always working worked where he lives. So you're never away from work unless you actually leave um, and go somewhere else. And so we would do that just to give him a breathing space and go and yeah, and have a look around your town. You know, walk around your town, go into the shops and say hello um buy the local newspaper, see what's happening and just um yeah um do something that appeals to you. You do have to put yourself out there. You can't sit back and expect people to come to you.
0: Okay, so if you don't have kids, buy a cute dog. That's the uh the main takeaway that I've I've got from that. But I think that, <laughs> that concept of going to the cafe on a regular basis is such a good one because one, even if the only person that you're seeing on a regular basis is the person making your coffee, but yeah. look, sitting out the front of the cafe, especially if you're quite strategic and you sit on the street and you've got the cute dog, people will be yeah. like, oh, I saw you two weeks ago or I saw you, like I've seen you a number of times now, you must live here. Yeah. And then they might say, oh, okay, like hi, or you can yeah. do the nod. I don't know if that's just yes. a Australian thing, but like, you know, just tilting your head and nodding at people. <laughs> And
1: you know, um, be friendly to people. Like the, most of the time, the cafe you go to, the owners will be locals, mm. so they'll be involved in things as well, and they'll see the people, you know, see that you're new and ask you for to do to do different things, or, or you know, even just having that connection with that one person, um, mm. yeah, can can make a huge difference.
0: Yeah. Is there something that fifteen or twenty year old Michelle wishes that she'd known before she'd? Uh embarked on (laughs) this farming I would (laughs) life
1: um I wouldn't change anything at all I, I I you know we've we've got unique experience that a lot of people would never get the opportunity to do um and the the only thing I think um and and we just went with the flow as I said what that the, the changes and the moves we had weren't things that we planned. They were circumstance that we had to do um, right from the start. And I think it'd be maybe my if I I would plan, I would have a bit more of a plan. Yeah, um, and uh, a mud map even would have been great. But you know we we've, we've got through. We've got through. And 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 I'm planning now for the next few years. I'm I'm you know that's that's what we're doing. We've done our our bit with the managing and and that and um we were on to our next leg in a few years' time. So um getting the planning done now. Um yeah other than that, no, I did everything I wanted to do. It was very, very I found it quite lonely in Hay in the very beginning, that first few months, John went off to work and I had the house. It was tiny, it was clean really quickly. Um I started hairdressing there and um had the most beautiful experience working with the most gorgeous um people there and um, met my best friend um, we had babies a, a day apart, so still really great friends. So, you know, and and that that the other thing I, I tell myself too, you know, you go to when we went to Tassie, I felt like I'd lost all my network and I didn't have any friends. But I I then realised that I do, I did have really great friends. They just weren't at my back door anymore, and and I just needed to make the effort to keep that connection going, which which I did with numerous things. One of which was a very boring long christmas letter every year to everyone that was back home but pre pre facebook and instagram and all of that you know um i spent a bit of time doing that for quite a number of years um and and just made the effort to see them and and you know what when you're working full-time or i was part-time john was full-time and and you're in the same town you don't always see each other that often anyway so the times that we did get to spend together were actually with really um you know, um, we connected really well because it was it, we weren't rushing off to work or it wasn't five minutes here or there. We actually planned weekends away and stuff like that to keep in contact with really good friends yeah um it it yeah you you're not alone, you just have people further away i think
0: yeah mm. and you do you do friendship in a different way, I think as well, and it it makes you much better on mm. the phone too.
1: Yes yes, definitely and i'm a real um, I really believe if I have a thought come into my head of someone, I'll send them a text. Um, I don't always ring, but I'll give them a quick text and just say, "I love heart or or how are you doing or something like that just to keep in contact um, I really feel I try and do that every time because I you know sometimes you just get an overwhelming thoughts of one person and 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 then a lot of the time I've done that I've I've ended up in conversation with them because they've needed to have a chat or or I have vice versa yeah you just have to 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 trust your instincts and do those sorts of things as well make time to do those sorts of things
0: yeah I'm that is completely you've just described me as well and I've actually heard my husband on a number of times when he's I've not he's thought I've not been in earshot and I've heard him say to to people he's like oh Joe's really good at that like we'll literally be talking about someone and I always get he gets initially annoyed with me because I'll pull my phone out but I will just flick that person that we've been talking about or I've thought about it or something and um yeah, quite often that like a week later you'll get a call and you have a big long chat for a long time. But I think that that is a very, very good piece of advice and a really, really clever way of staying in touch and feeling connected, especially especially if you're relatively mobile. Like you've done a fair bit of moving around in that that time, but then it sounds yes. like there have been good chunks of time though, like four, six years, like ten years. Like those Some are Some
1: work, yes.
0: Yeah, some, some were a bit shorter,
1: 12 months um, in, in Brank's home and, and only a short time probably out of, out at the first property that we were on. But we actually stayed and lived there um, to save moving twice and look after the house for them after John finished work and he he just did a bit of contracting and stuff in between. There's been a few fill-in in between jobs um, but thankfully only one fill-in in between house which um, was in Bioduck in, um, for about I, I think we were there for six weeks. Um, and then moved up here. Um, the other thing in Hay was that I had good support. I didn't have any uh, of my family there. Some of John's family were there, so good sister-in-laws and um, great friends. And we used to tag team with our kids. We, we've got three children and I had them all within three years. Um, and you just drop, if you had to go, Griffith was our main, main um, shopping and it was an hour and a half away, one way. So if you had an appointment or something, you'd, you'd mind their children while they went for the day and then they'd do them for you. It was, um, I couldn't have survived without that, I, I um, being out because it was only um, half a day of childcare a week offered in Hay at that time. So anyone under preschool age, that was all you had. Um, and, you know, pre-mobile phones and things like that too. So, um, yeah, it was, um, you needed that extra support. And we just, um, yeah. Um, trusted each other with each other's children and um and helped each other out as much as we could. Yeah, it worked really well.
0: It's very much that it takes a village to to raise <laughs> raise kids mentality. Yes. Um, yes. It's been so it's been so nice to sort of hear your perspective, which is quite different to the, the conversations that I've been having of late. And I'm really I'm really pleased to have got to to share your story. Is there anything that you'd sort of like to wrap it up with?
1: In, uh, it, it, it's been a wonderful journey. It really has. Um, and, and, I mean, we're still on it. But um, um, I suppose um, you, you, the pros and cons thing was the thing that got me through and, and actually made us make the decision, which was really hard, to leave Hay and to go to Tassie. Um, but it, it, I always think work out your worst case scenario with what could happen if you do move and how you financially would get out of it, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can think you can cope with that, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it. Um, and, and it just, John's um, had an amazing experience. So have I. I've met so many people and and done so many different things. Um, and retrained in so many different things as well. A lot of, you know, each computer program was different and all of that, which which is very
0: um, stimulating.
1: Yeah, it, it is. So, yeah, just, just trust your guts and go with it, basically.
0: Mm. Although I was just about to wrap you up, but you've just made a really interesting point there that I think um, what that idea of sometimes dreading that, Almost reinvention every time that you're moving um, jobs, mm. wide, especially because you're you're straight, you moved away from your trade. Which I'm sure, if you'd wanted to, you could pick up a, a hairdressing gig in every town that you wanted I, to. Do.
1: I used to do them do them at home, haircuts at home, um, and that was the other thing that went when we moved to Tassie. Like you didn't have that network anymore, so I lost that. Um, cash income too that was our holiday money um in it i did a few over there but not many but um yeah it's um you you know you're a good person and you know that um you've been trusted and um you know people knew who we were when we were in hay and when we moved no you had to prove all that all over again and and it takes a, a while it takes um a lot of um thought and a lot of actions to get people to actually come to that level again and, and understand that you're, you are a good person and, you you know, you can do these things and, um, yeah, you're good fun to be around or whatever, you know, they can be a little bit guarded at times. But that was probably one of the hardest things was going from somewhere where everyone knew you. Um, grocery shopping was so much quicker in Tassie. Once yeah. we found the grocery, once we found the grocery store, which was was actually we were going to one that was a lot further away than the one that we should have been going to. It took nearly two weeks to realize, um, but it was a lot quicker, um, and the walk down the street was you know a lot quicker and all of that because in how you'd just be talking to everybody all the time, which was lovely, and that took a long time to get used to, and it it, it changed, it did change, but um you have to make it change too, yeah, yeah, and and. Just, yeah, proving yourself to other people again was um, is tough over and over.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's been a real treat. <laughs> uh,
1: a little bit different to what everyone, I've been listening to the podcast, it's been a little bit different. But it, um, as I said, it was a lightning bolt for me. I didn't realise that Trailing Spouse was exactly what I'd done.
0: Yeah, very much Good though. on you
1: f- for the podcast. It's been great. I'm still listening. Still got quite a few to go and I'm really enjoying it.
0: Oh, well, I'm just so pleased that you, because it seems like you would think that they are worlds apart of being the wife of a farm manager to the spouse of, say, an investment banker in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. like you would think Mm -hmm. they would be two entirely different worlds. But you have just, you know, reiterated so many of the same Sort of challenges and exciting things, and so many of the, the there's so many more similarities between those two situations than you would think. And I think like this conversation as well and truly proved that. So thank you very much. Yes. Yeah,
1: definitely. Thank you, Joe. Keep it up. It's, it's, uh, I'll look forward to all the new, new um, podcasts coming out.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Following a partner to a foreign country, new city or rural community can impact your career, network and access to continuing education. Brunch is a podcast from the Trailing Spouse Co, where I, your host, Joe Palmer, chat with trailing spouses from all over the world. Brunch is a chance to meet trailing spouses, hear their stories, their highs, their lows, as well as advice, tips and tricks to get the most out of their trailing spouse experience. In this episode, I speak with Michelle, an Australian who has spent the last 35 years moving around rural Australia with her husband who works in agriculture. Michelle talks about what reinvention looks like when you move between rural communities. And we chat about how there are far more similarities than differences between her experience and that of a global expat. I hope you enjoy this conversation.